sup, there be spoilers, yo. So uh, if you haven't read the book yet, don't listen to this yet. All right, bye. Well spunked. Have you not been hearing me? Oh man, the goon! Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. Sorry, the neurons aren't firing today. Yes, it is. Exactly. Cleanse the palate with zombies. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. Did I just have a stroke? That's a valuable misprint, sir. And now, your hosts, Luke Matthews. Anything by Chris Claremont, I'm going to fucking shit all over. <laughs> and Bean. If it wasn't for shitting on the floor, I'd still think you're a robot. Joel Simon. Okay, well, I want to see how badly things could be if I have to deal with a drug dealer who's high on ether and has been knocking his hose up left and right. And Andy Padel. If you're having a problem with that page, just sit it on the ground, open it up, and just start stepping on it as hard as possible. <laughs> you will have succeeded when you hear that pop noise. Oh, okay. That pop okay. noise means you win. This is going to be a very laid back episode tonight, isn't it? It's, I, I kind of like so. it. It's nice. All right. Right. Welcome everybody to Sweaty Balls. Take two. Nope. Go, go, go. Welcome everybody to episode eight of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Luke Matthews, and I am joined by the usual crew once again Ann Bean. Yo. Joel Simon. Yo, yo. And Andrew Padel. Sup. Is this ever going to end? <laughs> no. Jesus Christ, Joel. <laughs> what? I, no. Was I supposed to? Either take it okay. or no. tell him to stop. I'm, I'm Something. Gonna, <laughs> what? Either one. I'm, stop I'm this let him take Seattle it. passive-aggressive bullshit. No, no, no. I'm going to let him take it it's, because it's pure passive there's nothing funnier. Yeah, true. There's nothing funnier than a white guy, you know, using slang. Vanilla We're all swinging on the flippity flop here. See? Bam. Right there. What you mean, dog? Good stuff. 30 Thank seconds you. in and you're already playing the race card. Bam. I, you got to <laughs> play it when it, I only got half of one. So. <laughs> play it when I can. Hey, get you together on the same show as Dorsey and you'll make two full colored people. No, one, one, one white. <laughs> one white okay, person. Okay. I guess I used yeah. the term colored in the wrong way. Like uh, okay. Each of you is a full colored. Jesus Christ. No. Now I'm the racist. Right. Fucking A. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> Just keep talking. Podcast gold. <laughs> it's okay. You were I can't Oregon. figure out what words mean. I don't know. <laughs> you were in Oregon. Uh-huh. Therefore, only white people exist. What? <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is going to be all about Desolation Jones. Uh, it is a Warren Ellis and J.H. Williams III uh, story published in 03, was it? Was it 03? 05. by uh, Wildstorm. I didn't type up an agenda because I didn't feel like it. We're going to go laid back. There's there's two major things that I wanted to bring up as far as industry news is concerned. We talked a little bit last week about the DC reboot, but you guys weren't here to, to discuss it, so we will discuss the DC <coughs> reboot in a minute. The other thing is uh, the huge media blitz about the death of Ultimate Spider-Man that's coming out tomorrow. Tomorrow. And the fact that they uh, they released the like preview pages of his actual like death scene on the internet and through news agencies before the comic came out. Brian Michael Bendis uh, <laughs> gave out free copies last week. I know wow. he was at my favorite comic shop too. Excalibur. Yeah, Excalibur in Portland is my favorite comic shop. That's good. It's so good. 
Mostly just because they're organized. Doesn't he? Yes. Okay. Somebody made a good point on on Twitter about uh, if you were just going to release the death scene to the public before the comic came out, why the fuck did you polybag it? I don't know. That seems like an odd move uh, to me. Wait a second. Logic. Yeah. What? That I'm not sure exists. what I'm not sure what the logic behind releasing the scene before people actually get to read the comic is. Like isn't publicizing the death of Spider-Man enough to get people to want to go try and buy the issue and read it and see what goes on? I guess they weren't getting enough heat on it. They had to get another one. They got usurped by DC. Stole their thunder. Uh, well, Surprise, we're canceling all our books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're killing our characters. <laughs> but think about this. Who's cool now? In order to us- in order to usurp Marvel, killing off a character in an alternate Marvel universe that doesn't even matter, DC had to completely <laughs> axe their entire superhero line and reboot it from scratch. Okay, so mm. <laughs> mind you, I'm, I'm just bringing this they up. Would. In eight years, Superman 1000 will come out. How, how long until Superman huh. goes back to the original numbering? Six months. No no more. You think? I think. I, I think a lot of comic like that's because that's the first thing I thought when I when they talked about rebooting the DC universe is like there are comics who will hit milestones that will never be broken and that right. will be humongous milestones, hitting the thousandth issue. You know, Detective Comics is up in the seven hundreds now, right? Why would they dump that? There there's no reason to dump that at all. Because I can go either way on the DC reboot, right? Like I th- I think in some ways, I think it's a really fucking good idea because the DC universe is completely and totally unapproachable, 100%. But it only works if they do it right and they fucking commit to it, which you know they're not going to do. No. It's, it's right? just like going to be uh, the death of Spider-Man. So He's going to come back. Uh, last episode, when you were talking about their fascination with 52, that's because there are 52 different universes in the DC universe. Right. That's why they keep going back to it. Oh. That sounds like an excuse. It sounds like it's, a, it's been that way for thirty years. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe that's maybe maybe their excuse will be that uh, every every week of the year, the comic that they publish is actually in a different universe than the one that comes out next week. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so what you actually have to do is collect the last thirty years of DC comics and find out which ones came out on the first through fifty second weeks of the year, and then read all the first week ones, and those are all one universe, and all the second week ones, and those you are all one. Someone universe. would. <laughs> yeah. So have you guys seen the lineup a of all the you. different titles that they're coming out with? Um, you guys talked about it last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen yeah. I've seen the lineup, and it looks. Dumb. It looks really dumb. Yeah. If that's why I say that it's it would be fine if they committed to it, but I know they're not because when you're coming out with was it four Green Lantern books? It's mm. a lot. Like, of Green Lantern. That's not like two. Okay, two is acceptable. You have Green your, Lantern, your Hal Jordan book, and your Green Lantern Corps. and Green Lantern yeah. Corps book. That's, that's that would be all okay. What are their other two then? They have the Red Lanterns, right? They're going to be fall- why the Red Lanterns? They have those, those are the least interesting lanterns out of all of them. <laughs> Exactly. Vomit. Blood. There yeah. we go. Yeah. That's um, going to be a great read. They're, they're keeping Batman Incorporated, which I think is a another interestingly dumb move. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it it just seems half-assed to me. You know? it, it really is. So huh. Here's a prime example, because they they're starting them all over from the get-go, right? You're so, talking about Red Hood? Yeah, I'm just talking about Red Hood. Yeah. No, okay, go for it. Yeah, exactly. So it's Red Hood is Jason Todd, who used to be Robin, but uh-huh. he left. He left as Robin was reborn um, after he died, 
and he came back as Red Hood or because he was evil. So he's, you know, he's a hood. Now, the thing is, is that, okay, wouldn't you want to start that origin story out from like the very beginning? Right. No, you're going to have to read all the Red Hoods and know all his history before that, before you're starting with one. Because then what they're going to have, if they keep his full history... At some point, they're going to have to tell it, and at some point, shocking origin issue. It's just a reprint. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. It's just going to it's just going to feel like they're rehashing the storyline that they've already read. Yeah. So there, it sounds like like with all the books that they're starting out with, they're not starting fresh from the beginning. Like, hey, you can come in at number one and know what's going on. There's already going to be some of the back history that you would have to know about either Batman, Red Hood, and and my God, I hope Batman uses a gun again. So here's here's the thing: used it once. It is acceptable for heroes to have long and convoluted back histories that we don't know about yet. If they're going to do it, though, they need to do it. They need to completely throw things up in the air, change things up, make them different. The problem with rebooting a universe like DC is that when you have characters that are so iconic, like Superman Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman... Mm -hmm. Is Wonder Woman iconic anymore? Uh, Yes. She's still iconic. She's still the the iconic... Powerful female comic book character. If yeah. there's like, one female superhero that the anyone will name, given like, hey, who's a female superhero? Wonder Woman is at the top of yep. the list. It might not be. She might not be iconic because of current stuff, but she's still iconic because of her history and because of this everything that's come and because in of the Linda past. Carter. Yeah, yeah, damn right. So you reboot characters like that, and there's not much that you can do to make them different than the way they were without completely revamping how they are think about iron man versus ultimate iron man like that was a complete reboot and that was orson scott card being like okay we're gonna start out with tony stark as a little kid and he's got like nanite paint or whatever it is that makes him blue and and invulnerable we're not gonna make him rich and Mm -hmm. annoying i loved ultimate iron man yeah (laughs) i thought that was one of the best reboots of a character i'd seen in a long time and that's one of the things that i actually really liked about the ultimate universe was the fact that when they rebooted shit they fucking really did oh yeah like they had completely different origins drunken god (laughs) maybe of thunder maybe he's just crazy and lucky with the lightning yes uh they had really good reboots and they did something with them, you know, and and eventually the the ultimate universe kind of fell apart because they didn't really pay much attention to it. But in the beginning, the ultimate universe did it right, and that's what I think they should have done with with DC is just like completely fucking revamp everything, yeah. just start from scratch. I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, I can understand this. They're rebooting everything for digital comics, right? And so they're making it palatable for anybody to that has an iPad to buy this and start off from the beginning. And I can understand that. But if you, if you're doing that and if that's your idea, then you would want to go with a fresh start from all this stuff, not have all these like red hood and, and the green lanterns and the red lanterns. How is anybody supposed to know what a red lantern is? Don't don't forget about indigo and white and black. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I know that. But orange lanterns are my favorite because they have the best credo. Mine. My, my friend had a good idea about this whole reboot. And pretty much Just what it's going to come out, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be Earth 2. So it's going to be a different universe, and they're going to go in this. And if it doesn't work, or if it does work, they, at the end of one year or how long, they can just say, okay, this was a totally different universe, kind of like Ultimates and, and normal Mar- Marvel Universe, and they can always go back to the normal n- numbering. A la Age of Apocalypse from mm. exactly. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Age even, of Apocalypse was done pretty well, though. I that was one of my always. One oh of no, my I'm favorite not saying storylines. 
Um, but th- that's that's what his his conjecture is because there's a lot of stuff that uh, you're starting off with these new superheroes, but they still have this old history. And so if it doesn't work out, they can just say, okay, we're going to rehash this all over again and then go back to the beginning. One of the things that I would have liked to have seen with the reboot is not only rebooting 52 titles and having three Bat books and four Green Lantern books. 17 Superman books. Blah, blah, Superman books, right? But having take take some of those rehashes and, and, and redundancies out and make a few new characters, you know, make something new. If you really want fucking people to get into your universe, then put something new out there so that people can be like, okay, this one I know for fucking sure is starting from scratch and I don't have to worry about anything. Was Frankenstein, wasn't there one Frankenstein and and scare or something like that? that Yeah. Squad. That that seems pretty new. I, I haven't, heard of a Frankenstein comic Don't look at me. I don't... I I mean, you are the encyclopedia. Yeah, but not DC. DC is like, I don't care at all. We don't have any DC fans in this on this podcast. We have Vertigo fans, but not DC. And and I understand Vertigo's some great stuff. Right? I'm I'm not a big fan. Nice. And on that note... um, You can't go a podcast without doing that, can you, Luke? I can. Who? Perhaps you should. (laughs) <laughs> his mic wasn't smelling right uh, but I okay so this is one thing that I have to say because I've been reading Captain America and of course you know Cap dies and comes back with a time bullet just got done with that whole issue and everything stop it you're laughing already but one thing that they did do as soon as Cap came back they started up with Cap 600 and it seems that's something that Marvel is known for doing is like reordering its issues and whatever and it, whenever, whenever something, a storyline or a story arc doesn't pan out, then they just go back to the original numbering again. Well, right, because isn't that what they're doing with Uncanny X-Men? Nope. So the team is getting broken in two. Okay. Spoilers. Sorry, Wolverine goes one way, Cyclops goes the other. This is what Right. Schism. You mean the whole point of Schism? Yeah. Yeah. Gold and blue team. You're going to still have your X-Men who are the, you know, the good mutants who are showing other mutants how to do things. And that, that'll probably encompass um, Generation Hope if they continue that. Cyclops' team is going to be like Generation Hope and stuff like that. They're going to be the equivalent of the Avengers, but as X-Men. Then you're going to have Wolverine's team, who I have a feeling is going to be pretty much Uncanny X-Force expanded. I was going to say, are, is, it, is it that they're turning every Uncanny book into a Black Ops team, basically? <laughs> well, I don't know about... like. So you'll probably have Asto- like Astonishing X-Men X-Force, which is their hit, to- their hit team. So you're going to have that group, and then there'll probably be a couple other groups that are basically kill squads. Yeah. And that's going to be the people that Wolverine is dealing with that would pr- actually probably encompass X-Factor because they're more like private eye investigator types and mm-hmm. new mutants seem to have gone down a very dark path recently. I don't know. I, so back to the original topic, um, all this discussion of the DCU reboot and in the end, I could really give a shit either way. I'm going to be pissed if they I cut just, all the awesome Vertigo yeah, stuff. Yeah, if they cut all but, the Vertigo stuff, that'll be fucking terrible, especially yeah. if they cut Unwritten right now, because I'm right in the middle of like really, really liking Unwritten. Right. Would that? Oh, fuck, that would mean Fables, too, huh? Yep. Yeah. That would be that would be so dumb. I I personally think that whoever told you that all the Vertigo stuff is getting cut is full of shit, um, just trying to stir shit up, which wouldn't be... Which is not unheard of with comic shop employees, so... <laughs> Hey. Now, one one more thing that I, I have to throw out the other half of my race card is I was noticing a lot of a lot of the lineup. They're they've gotten a little bit darker 
and with a little bit urban element. Like uh, Cyborg is now not with the Teen Titans anymore. He's with Justice League of America. So they have a brother on Justice League now. He's going to die in the second issue. Oh, we know it, but he's a cyborg, so they'll just build him up again. You know, that's why they make it like that. Anyways, um, and then uh, there's Batwing, which is <laughs> Batman incorporated the African chapter, but they decided to go with the African Batman, which I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of I like him better that. when he was called Black Panther. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no doubt. So it's yeah, and he's all super technological and everything. And my friend was telling me that he should have been in rags and you know in Mokadishu and in the shit. <laughs> but I thought they, they probably want to go away from the Resident Evil Five vibe on that. He's all shiny with wings. So and I think that's going to last maybe seven issues. Nobody's going to read an African Batman. It's just going to be one issue. Yeah, that, like page two, he's going to get shot and killed, and then the rest will be like, "Well, we tried in Africa. What do we do now? I don't know. <laughs> Let's just give up." Okay, a bunch of white guys sitting around a table, you know, oh. like Batman Incorporated symbol behind him was like, "We don't know what these people want." Yeah, <laughs> scream, oh. give us food, help, move us out of the fucking desert. Well, we don't know how to help him. And, and like uh, Mr. Terrific too, I guess. I'm not familiar with. You fucking dick. God. I'm not familiar with Mr. Terrific, but I, I, he's another brother, but he's super smart. He's not the smartest guy in the world. He's the third smartest. I've, I've noticed that they have a lot of more ethnic variety in their titles than they, they usually them. have. Well, yes, that's true. Finally and I think. Catching the wave of the future, and maybe they'll be non shitty. Well, yes. Non Wonder Woman. Female superhero someday too in DC. Yeah, and uh, as as a matter of fact, my my friend was reading Straczynski's t- uh, run on on Wonder Woman, and he said it was pretty good. I think I've tapped out, but anyway, um, I I wish the best for DC. Some of the stuff looked actually pretty good, but you know it's all going to go back to normal. Yeah, I have no interest whatsoever. Like yeah. it has not generated interest for me because I just don't. I just don't think that it's going to be handled correctly. I have no faith that it's going to be handled correctly, and I don't care about the characters. Yeah. Like, As we said earlier, it's like Fox. You're like, yeah. huh, halfway decent sci-fi show. That'll be canceled in 13 or less episodes. Yeah, yeah but uh, one thing i got to say is Marvel... Fuck, they're canceling Zombie. That pisses me off so much. See, you do care. Okay, so, okay, that's... I care because they're fucking me over. Like... Still caring. The first DC book that I've gotten into in the last 15 fucking years, and they cancel it after six issues, hey. eat a whole fucking bag of dicks. Uh-uh. It's it's also the return of uh, Rob Liefeld. He's doing Hawk and Dove. Oh, sweet. That means I'll have entire issues with no feet. Yeah. <laughs> they have great, feet. just not ankles. <laughs> they they did. How many different no. ways can we hide feet and avoid hands? <laughs> I hate drawing hands and feet. I did that in like, middle school. These characters, <laughs> Edward <laughs> Bottle Hands, right? <laughs> Edward Hammer Hands, Spawn Scissor Hands, <laughs> How many? Molly McSledge Hammer Face we Hands. Play Edward Forty Hands in college. Does he, <laughs> does he have... Does he have fists for abs? Is how many abs does he have? Infinite He's got abs, abs in his throat. <laughs> <laughs> so what actually I'm I'm most excited about in the DC run is that because they're restarting the number for Batman and Robin, it'll get can't taken off my pull list, and I'll have a complete <laughs> run and be done with it. <laughs> hey. hey.
let's actually move forward and talk about Desolation Jones for a little bit. We're not going to talk about what we were reading? We don't need to. <laughs> As I said before, Desolation Jones came out in 2005. Well, actually, that's what Andy said. Um, the first the first uh, trade paperback is called Made in England. It's a six-issue arc. came out from Wildstorm, uh, written by Warren Ellis, drawn by J.H. Williams. I'm not going to start this one because I, I, I literally finished reading this about 10 minutes before we started recording. So uh, let's go ahead and, and start with other people who've read this before, and, and I kind of want to hear other people's thoughts before I start talking about it. Joel, it's your baby. No, no. It's, this is my baby. Okay, well, let's go back. I, they probably heard this origin story before, but how I got back into comic books was was my my dealer Andy Padell over here. He he started getting some uh, some good comic books going my way, and I told him I really like noir. So he first he would, he gave me um, some Criminal and some some other noir stuff. Uh, Last Days of American Crime was another one, and then um, he gave me Desolation Jones. And I do like Warren Ellis. Some of his early stuff is not so good, but this is when he's written his really hitting his stride. And he he, he wrote Transmetropolitan, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, but uh, this is this was definitely noir, like I remembered when I was a little kid. I would always sneak out and watch the old uh, cable shows, and most of them were were kind of noir, where they had this drifter, they'd always get in tr- trouble or whatnot, and um, and. It was definitely old noir. It wasn't. It wasn't like Dashiell Hammett or or Elmore Leonard or anything like that. And this this stuff here was really good. It's it's the kind of noir that I like, where nobody gets out alive, and that's pretty much what happens in this book too. Uh, one thing I do spoilers. Oh, sorry, but it's noir, <laughs> you know. Um, but Neuer. it's noir. It's not going to um, have a happy ending. No, no. <laughs> if if it does, then it's not. And I'm not going to read it. Go but you read Last Days of American Last... Crime, and that had a happy ending. It did. It's true. It did. But that was more. That was more like. A, oh, God damn it! Not more of a heist thing. book. It was more of a heist book, and this was. It's not really a heist book. No, this is not a heist book. This is no. like gouging out Gimp's eyeballs. <laughs> yes. With your thumbs. This. This is a nice little um, crawl through the seedy underbelly of L.A., and it's 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 a story of an ex. Um, it's what eight millimeter should have been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it re- you know they actually, did a sequel to that. They did. Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. Oh, why? Because people like their snuff porn. Wow. Uh, one of the things is there's a premise that L.A. is the I guess a haven. reserve or haven for ex intelligence agents. They can't really keep them anywhere else. So they I wouldn't all say live in haven LA. because it's technically a prison. Right, they're not allowed to leave, and they, and you get the impression from the book that they are they are forced to stay there, and that Australia, as long as they don't fuck around, well, yeah. as long as they don't fuck around outside the city, they'll be left to their own devices. But if they leave the city, they're fucked. But the thing is, yeah. it's a haven for them because they're allowed to go there. It's like their options are: we can kill you, or we can send you to L.A. Like thanks yeah. for me. That's that's a little bit of. I'd be like, <laughs> L.A. or death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'll tell you one of the things that this reminded me of. Just just to throw it out there while I was reading it. it it's like a darker kind of seedier version of burn notice yeah right yeah like and I, I guess I guess that would be in reverse right because burn notice came out after so it would be more like burn notice is a less seedy version of desolation Jones but that's yeah. kind of what it reminded me of and they don't know where to keep all these guys because they know too much and they they have too many skills so they just keep them all in LA it's more like a game reserve or something like that <laughs> yeah endangered until, species you exactly put them in a cage so he Freedom to bide his time while he's in LA because I don't think any of them have jobs. It just 
Well, I mean, Desolation Jones acts as a, a private eye for yeah. other members of the special intelligence community. Exactly. And in his job, he gets given a case for a certain stolen article of, um, of celluloid that, that a guy wants back. Hitler porn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, what's greater than... As in than Hitler's homemade <clears throat> porn, not as in, I mean, like, sexy Sig Heil or anything. <laughs> <laughs> sexy Sig Heil. That's such a hashtag for Twitter. <laughs> I blame Micatron. <laughs> when Atron was doing um, illustrations for My Neighbors from Hell, um, he had, like... A demon in his office with like sexy Hitler calendar on the wall. So. My, my neighbors from hell is actually a property. It's not. She's. She, he wasn't doing oh, illustrations yeah. for their neighbors who title. are from hell. Back when I lived by Anne and Mikey Tron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why why would you do illustrations for people you don't like? Uh. Anyway. Yeah. So Hitler porn. He has to find Hitler porn in this. It's highly prized possession by this one old general. And as he's going along in his his investigation he uncovers different truths and side alleys and comes across various characters going through LA and it's a it's a great little jaunt okay now that we've recapped why yeah, don't you yeah. actually tell us what what you think of the book why well, I, I like it I like it a lot it's really good uh, it, yeah. well one of the things is is there's nobody that is redeemable in this I mean the main character on this uh, is the reason why he's there is because he cracked he couldn't take it anymore in the intelligence agency, and he had gone through some serious experiments to give him almost supernatural powers. Um, but and they kind of go into that in all the different experiments that he did on him, and he was the only one to survive well, this process. They were supposed to give him supernatural <clears throat> powers, and turned out not to really give him any powers at all. Yeah, except for the power c- of not caring yeah. about anything. The power of apathy. Well, he's been so desensitized that you know nothing really phases him anymore. He's like yeah. the Clockwork Orange Kid. Yeah, he's kind of like Batman. He has no fear anymore. You know. Also, no hope. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. Or the no ability to get an erection. Yeah. <laughs> all it's of these things. It's kind of bleak. Um, but there's... <laughs> you, you go through all these all these characters that he come across are, are just not very shiny and pretty. Uh-huh. Uh, like one of his, his fixer that gives him his job, he has the brownest teeth in the world. You, you know, he's, he's probably very slovenly. And his, he's leaving on vacation to cattle cattle in he only Mexico? has to eat four times a year because he's been like programmed by the Metal government chompers. so but he's he like what's up to i gotta a eat a whole massive cow amounts of protein to do that yeah 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 so he's going on his vacation in montana it was interesting like the characters that they introduce are 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 kind of neat like some of the it's an interesting take on the weird government experimentation yeah. thing you know like why these are what the people the fuck failed would, it's like on you know on a good side, so the government succeeds, you get Captain America. And if they don't do so well, you get <laughs> Desolation Jones. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was the fact that Warren Ellis... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compare him uh, to Garth Ennis for a minute because... Their last names are almost the same. <laughs> sure. We'll go, we'll go with that route. After reading this, I have a feeling, and, and some of the other things that Warren Ellis has done, um, Warren Ellis has the ability to go into seedy environments and situations without having to take it to the the shock factor right yeah like he portrayed some really kind of disgusting nasty stuff in this book 
without ever actually showing it, without really having to, you know, describe it too much. He implied a lot of it. And that made it much more interesting to me than than actually showing it. That's like, I flipped through the first trade of Crossed the other day, and I was like... Yes! I was like, that... It's just pointless. No, it's, it's not. It's pointlessly over overdone. Horse cock for shock, yeah. for shock's value, and yeah. that's where it's it it it's no longer interesting, right? It just becomes a it just becomes oh, let's see how more much more depraved he can get in the next scene. Yeah. Whereas Circle this one, <laughs> yeah. Whereas this one, I've always liked stories that that use implications. Uh, and make you use your imagination to think of the terrible things that are going on. That's one of the reasons why I liked Seven so much. Mm. My moment of nerd is that Freud wrote a whole big essay about that called The Uncanny, which I feel is comics relevant, about how you know seeing seeing the monster under the bed in the light is so much more underwhelming than yeah. you know hearing the your noises. Idea of it. And, yeah, it really is, and that's why that that's why Seven was so effective in it in some of its depictions of some of the things that were going on, right? Because you never actually see it. You see the you see the aftermath of it. You see um, people's reactions to it, uh-huh. and that makes it so much scarier and much more um, m- much more terrifying than actually seeing it in full color. So. I thought you were going to say that you could see a guy who looks like David Swimmer who's had some sort of knife phallus device taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the last episode of Friends. <laughs> <laughs> they re-edited it, apparently. But, you, know, you know that guy? That's original. On a Rector's side note, cut. that guy plays the same fucking part in every movie he's ever been in. Yep, he yep. was in Alien Resurrection yep. and he did the same goddamn thing. That almost <laughs> makes me want to see Alien Resurrection just for like... For example, like, I mean, there's little things that are hilarious you know the line of uh <laughs> little things are like, like there's subtle nuances that are amazing yeah yes. like when he's talking like he you know he meets the uh the girl who works in the porn industry and she really likes him he's like yeah i'd love to go out and you know have a good time with you she's like yeah i've got was chlamydia yeah or something yeah. Like that. he's like no it's okay it's yeah. like herpes yeah. herpes yeah he's like oh that's cool i'm impotent <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Jones, watch Bukaki with me. Right. I'd rather just talk Isn't and leave filthy. Better with Jones, Jones, yeah. everything goes better with Bukaki. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing is he's as he's going through this, he's more like the observer with with all these weird elements that are in of L.A. Uh-huh. You know, this is a part of L.A. that nobody ever sees. That, that even you know? he doesn't see in all of his depravity and his weirdness and all the shit that, like, you get the sense that. Even he hasn't really de- dipped into this world very much. Right. Yeah. It's like he's seeing you know? contacts that oh he knows, God. but at the same time, he's like, oh, this I is so a whole new level. Were all of the ex-supers... Um, Fucked up? Yes. No, British. Yeah. Like even... No, not all the of teeth them. Guy, Wait, no, the Teeth Guy, Emily Crow. Teeth Guy is American, CIA. Yeah. yeah. I think I think so is uh, so is the chick, like the one of my favorites, the chick who they tried to alter so Fear. that she would... They tried, <laughs> she's awesome. She's yeah. my favorite she's character. Emily Crow. I don't think so. I think she's. I think she's. They said she was ex CIA hmm. because they said he. They said she was the same comp. They they say she's the same company as Geronimus, okay. which is ex CIA. So they you know they tried to they tried to alter her so that her, she would give off pheromones that would make her super attractive yeah. to men, and it turned out it turned wrong. So it gave everybody like makes everybody dread her presence. Like except for the what was it the arachnid 
response yeah. is yeah. what yeah. they call it. And but he he can be around her because he, he just, just doesn't, doesn't give care. a shit. He doesn't. He's not afraid he's of anything. Nothing. Nothing they, makes him dread. They anything kept anymore. me spinning in a chair for a year, no sleep, and all I had to do was watch the worst aspects of humanity. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of irredeemable people in this, and, and they all die. <laughs> well, yeah, they don't all die. They don't Just all most die. of them. Desolation lives through it. He's redeemable. But in 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 the because <laughs> he's already dead. The very basis of this. I mean, you have all these characters, but the very basis of this. This is a detective comic. It totally you know, is. Yes. It has. He has a case he has to solve, and as he's going through it, he you know um, it told it slowly unfolds for him until he figures it out at the end. And the finale is a great part. Because in, in like noir, they think they can dupe this detective, Desolation Jones, but it turns out that he really doesn't care. Yeah, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to pull on the strings of someone who doesn't give a shit about anything that he's doing. Yeah. He has right? no hot strings. Yes, like there there are parts that I really like, and there are parts that I don't like. And I have to say that one of the things you brought up earlier, um, it might have been before the show, but one of the things that you brought up that I really didn't like was the monologue on the porn industry <laughs> not was was the literal monologue on the porn industry where the chick was where he's sitting in the bar with the redheaded chick yeah and she's just going on and on and on i'm like okay now now you're getting up on a soapbox right <laughs> now you're not you're no longer writing a comic book you're trying to tell tell us something yeah and oh, yeah. i thought it was a little annoying because it actually for me it detracted from the story that was trying to be told in that issue it was just there's a point at which I feel like the character they've set up in Desolation Jones would have told her to shut the fuck up and answer his question. That didn't bother me on the first read-through. I'd, yeah. I'd really, have to it, give it another read. No. It, it bothered me because it was six pages long. Yeah, that's nothing. He used to write like, an article every week for Suicide Girls called The Sunday Hangover. <laughs> brilliant. Like I like his monologue. I really do. I think they're good. I, they're insightful. You know, I, like I that, don't think he takes porn dialogue because it takes because everybody thinks these porn industries, these starlights or whatever, they're they're living the life. You know, oh, they get to have sex. You know, for you know for their job. And who it, is this they? It, they think you. Didn't well, guys, right? guys, that's who. Okay. Yeah. It. I was just checking. Guys oh, okay. and dumb, naive girls. Well, yes, <laughs> that's true. But it's a good way to get money, and you've got to see the other side of the coin. That it's not always so glamorous. I learned everything I needed to know about the porn industry from the girl next door. <laughs> I just, I, I thought that the, I thought the monologue was a little overdone, and and it was just, it could have been shortened. I don't have a problem with it being there, no. but I felt like it. I felt like there was a point where it, it was just a complete divergence from what he was trying to, the point he was trying to actually get across and the, and the point of the story at that stage. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed some of his depictions of Desolation Jones's thought processes in stressful situations. Uh-huh. Like when he's fighting and it kind of pauses everything and it's like, he's like analyzing what, what to do next, right? Mm. Everything from the first one where he pokes the fucking gimp's eye out all the way, and then the second fight when... Um, <laughs> he gets hit with the crowbar? When he gets hit the, hit with the crowbar and then he turns around and, the, and there's that pause scene with, you know, where it shows like his brain highlighting all the different things that he needs to do to this guy to, to immobilize him. And like mm. those kinds of things, the the depiction of the character and the fact that you know he hasn't lost all of his skill right well, i mean he's, and, he's lost some physical strength but his body still reacts just from the training from being an mi6 mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And and just also the training that he's been so desensitized that he doesn't get he doesn't get overly excited. He doesn't yeah. get he's able happy. to keep a completely logical head. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't feel anything anymore. And I think this overall just did an amazing job with taking a main character that's dead inside and doesn't feel anything and making him really compelling which uh, you know if I'm a writer and I'm sitting down to do that I'm like huh yeah what the hell (laughs) and and the thing is that he's dead inside and doesn't feel anything but he's not the most messed up character in this book right Right. which is awesome that's a pretty big theme for Warren Ellis books yes Um, runs and Ignition City both have protagonists who are pretty screwed up but they just don't care to the like yeah. they have they have a goal that they are going for in a worse environment than they are and they just run with it. I mean if mm. if you want to run a parallel for the listeners to actually that I think is pretty pretty apparent is run it against Dexter. It's you know it, telling the story of a character who's basically emotionless and having to run through a world you know, run through the world and and keep relationships and try and accomplish goals while trying to deal with the fact that he's not like the people around him. You know, and I think Dexter does a really good. At least the first. I I haven't read the book, so three books. Three books. I haven't read the books. I'll say the first couple of seasons of Dexter. I know that they've kind of diverged that path in the show a little bit, but it's it. it you're right. It does a really good job of of taking a character, and you know, there's moments where. In, in any other story, in any TV story, especially a show like Dexter or more mainstream stuff, they would always have a scene that would make you feel humanize. like... That would humanize the character. I thought that and he was pretty humanized when he was around Emily Crow, though. See, and that's what I was that's what I was going to bring up, is that they make enough comments in those scenes that make you wonder how humanized he really is, right? It makes you wonder if he's doing this, these things because he actually cares about her or because she's a means to an end and he knows that that's the best way to get to that end, you know? Yeah. Um, and the best way to keep her around, right? At least that's the way I interpreted it. Maybe I'm just interpreting it on the dark side of things because the book is so dark in the first yeah. place. Well, you know, I could see that because he's the only person that can actually stand her. And- yeah. And so he hangs around, and he makes her feel better. So I think maybe he's he's kind of doing a humanitarian act, it seems like, hanging around her, even though he, he's got his information from her. And he can leave, but he's, she asks him to stay, and he does stay for a little bit longer. And my, and my interpretation of that scene was that the reason he's staying is because he knows from the conversation that she had with him at that moment, he knows that if he doesn't give her this affection, or at least this this closeness and this presence and this semblance of intimacy and friendship she's gonna fucking off herself you know she's already she talks about the fact that she's she's so fucking lonely that she's she comes close all the time to offing herself and the only reason why she doesn't is because of him and she's a valuable asset to him exactly she's She's an extremely valuable asset to him because of the fact that she her entire existence is knowledge, right? Yeah. She doesn't have anything else to her right. except knowing about everything. Yeah. So if he maintains that relationship, he walks into her and all, you know, spending spending a night not even having sex or doing anything intimate, just yeah. spending a night around her so that she feels, you know, welcomed by someone. Yeah. Gets him the amount of information she can provide. I know. I I'm a pessimist, but no. So, I think it could go either way. No, I think actually that is a somewhat humanitarian reach out from him. Yeah, um, he from, doesn't. 
seven and eight because the the two that are not collected that are single issues uh is, that's one through six in the, the trade issue seven is a flashback before he cracked Ooh. and he has absolutely no problem getting rid of tools no matter how useful they are sure but there's a difference between getting rid of a tool because maybe you know maybe the situation demands it or losing a tool that you don't need to lose Okay. If she did something to him that warranted him offing her, I have no doubt he'd fucking off her. Yeah. But losing a resource that he doesn't need to lose when he can do something fairly simple to keep it, I think he would do. No, no that's actually that's okay. pretty telling of your personality because I never saw it that dark. But <laughs> damn. No, I guess but this is too. telling of my personality because I saw that whole scene. It's fairly redemptive, ambiguous. There's yeah. a certain degree of he's just being a manipulative fuck. But, like, okay, at the end of the scene, he, you know, he stays with her all night, leaves in the morning, and it has, with very ex- well-done art and color, him coming out into, like, the L.A. sunshine and saying, this town finds a new way to break my heart every fucking day, which was a really interesting comment because that's his whole deal. He doesn't really have a heart to break. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. And I thought that was an interesting moment for him. Just kind of like talking to himself. That's true. And at the end, he does say, I'm sorry. So it does mean that he does, he does have feelings for people and connections and whatnot. And, and that's and one thing I got to say at the story that this is one thing that he did well is that they wrapped it up. A classic like crime scene. It all comes to the final scene, climactic ending where everything is explained, why he's chasing yeah. after this item, and all the characters that are involved with it. And he says, "It's like okay, this is why you're doing this, and this is why this character's doing that." And and yeah. he explains it all. And then when it comes down to it, where they think, "Okay," comes down to it, he just starts capping people he does, <laughs> like you do exactly. And and that's one thing without any remorse or anything, but. Also, another thing is as as he goes through this, all his actions have repercussions too. There's consequences that he has to pay for them. Uh, being hit over the head with a uh, with a, a tire iron, uh, being shot, you know, all these things yeah. where he can think that usually in comic books where you go through and like, oh, okay, I just blew up this building, so let's go on to the next scene. No, everything that he does has an action and a reaction to that, and it, and it seems like it makes the world real. You know, that, okay, everything does have its consequences and these people are real and <clears throat> they do have memories and they do remember coming across Desolation Jones, you know. Um, and that's one thing that I liked about this, too, that it seemed like this world was fully realized uh, with all the bit players and characters that were in it, too. And that's one thing that I liked. And when it came to the end, you, you know, he, he paid the ultimate price. Well, he didn't pay it, but yeah. knowing Desolation paid the ultimate price, you know. And, and that's another thing about noir is that it's dark and it ended well. You know, just like, like you were saying, just like Seven, where the one thing I loved about Seven was that it didn't have a happy ending. It, out of uh, everything that happened in that movie, if it had a happy ending like they were sunning themselves on a beach in Mexico, yeah. it, it would have been false. But <laughs> did nice Brad Scooby-Doo Pitt, ending. Let's yeah. try the Did Brad happy Pitt ending. or Morgan Freeman kill Brad Pitt Kevin did. Spacey? Okay. Isn't the alternate ending where Morgan Freeman kills Kevin yeah. Spacey? Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, maybe I need to read it again, but I I was a little frustrated by that that last scene. Where the the bullet goes in front of his face. Deus Ex Machina. Not that really. Well, not really, but bullets, Ex Machina. Just, I have... the ending of Hamlet. I have an issue. I I have an issue, especially lately with... What? I'm muttering about Hamlet. Don't worry. (laughs) I I was going to say, unlike the ending of Ex Machina, 
There is no Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> hey, I, I I have this issue with stories that have needless deaths for effects' sake, um, and I thought that was one. It, it just, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Where it's yeah. like it's it's you know the consequences of his actions coming back to bite him in the ass. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. It just it didn't feel like it flowed in the in the sense of the story. It was yeah. like the story was over and it was a shitty ending. Yeah. And then it was like he was he just kind of went, let's make it a little shittier. And I don't know. It just it, it just didn't sit right with me for some reason. I mean, I the the thing I did interpret like you you mentioned that he said uh, you know he says sorry to Rabina after she gets shot, mm. but the way that I interpreted that sorry was was less an emotional response and more a she was about to get the fuck away from him and didn't quite do it in time and he was kind of like oh, sorry, sorry that happened sorry that happened sorry you didn't get away from me yet you are dark well damn and did look like at a, the book that i'm reading well it's, yes <laughs> that's true but i i didn't see it i i thought it was sorry that somebody that another person that was associated with him ended up badly or wrong just because they're you know they're associated with him. Just being around Desolation Jones uh, is, is you know chaos. And I feel like that, like whatever emotion he was saying that I'm sorry with was more like a kind of like what you're saying. Like I'm yeah. I'm sorry that happened, and almost uh, almost like what you're saying, Joel, in terms of like okay, this is kind of how it is around me, you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. I feel like it's not that he doesn't have feelings. It's just that they're a tiny shriveled husk <laughs> in his inner core that we occasionally can see mere glimpses of but the point is it's really not there overall i i really enjoy the book and i um i want to i want to talk about the artwork yeah like i really really like the artwork and i especially like the transitions in the book from painted art to line art and how they use it as as a means to show perspective perspective and and especially when his like his visions and his uh, memories and yeah. stuff and, and, you know, fever dreams and things are, are in that kind of washy painted artwork. Um, and I especially liked how they handled that right at the beginning of the book uh-huh. when it goes from the, the washy painted artwork for when it's showing kind of history. And then there's the one panel where it, it's literally like fading into clarity uh, on one page, right? And that's I his, was, he's waking up. Yeah, as he's waking up, I was really impressed with the the handling of the of the painted artwork in the book. Um, you know, when he's having the conversation with the the redheaded porn chick, and like he starts having hallucinations, like <laughs> listening to her talk and having hallucinations of her in different, like seeing what she's describing in her own face. Um, and you know, he has that line. He's like, "Oh, don't start fucking with me right now, please." <laughs> you know, yeah. it, um, it his his art, the line art in the book reminds me a lot of Jay Lee uh, in a lot of ways. Just style-wise, um, the 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 use of line and the use of blacks, I think I I'm is very reminiscent of of older Jay Lee. Not necessarily like the stuff that he does now for like the Dark Tower, but um, it's very to me they look very similar. Hmm. I thought the but, art um, lent a lot of clarity to the action sequences too. I know Joel, you mentioned how occasionally it'll highlight the you know bits of the scene the impact areas right (laughs) like what desolation jones is seeing and you know where his next strike targets are or in general it just goes very like very stark it loses a lot of color 
it's usually red and black or white and black. And yeah. I think that mirrors the emotion and thought process that would actually go mm-hmm. on in a fight scene. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff they did. It, the one thing I liked about the art is not, well, the art itself is pretty good. It's just what they did outside of the art. Like a, a, a prime example is um, we was talking with Crow, right? And if you look, if you look outside all the cells, there's this lace around the side that kind of looks like right. spider webs. Uh-huh. You know, like he's in. And during that whole scene, there's in, on every single page, there's there's these right. spider webs. Like he's trapped in in her web. You know, and he can't really leave. And the only time that he can leave is the next morning when he yeah. kisses her goodbye, and then he can go. Or um, <clears throat> whenever there's any kind of action, everything gets chaotic. All the cells get chaotic. Um, whenever, whenever there's any kind of art when he's trying to explain stuff, uh, uh-huh. either between like drug use or violence or, or whatever, everything gets chaotic, and he kind of explains stuff even with the the situation of the artwork they do a really good job of trying to explain or tell a story with how the cells are are situated whenever there's some big exposition everything's all by the lines yeah the nine panel pages right everything's all by the lines because it's like okay this is the straight story we're getting everything straightened out and then all of a sudden and then also when he starts smoking and he starts having his little hallucinations they go crazy and then as soon as it starts getting violent again you start having these cells that go without any color or they they go completely chaotic it's kind of like mimicking what's going on in his head yeah and i think they did a really good job with that if you ever if you ever read like um a book by william eisner on the art of sequential art or or sequential yeah. art it, it's talking about how art. yeah you, it, it talks about how you can tell a story not with just the artwork and not with just the writing but how everything is situated too panel layout panel layout thank you yes i'm not artistically inclined so i don't know the right wording for it or vernacular but coming back to the ending i have to say that i was really really happy to see him start capping people because i was like <laughs> there was a point where i was like he's not just going to sit here and listen to their bullshit right mm. and I was rewarded by the fact that he didn't just sit there and listen to their bullshit, you know? He, he murdered the old, them. The older daughter was started going on and on about some random crap, so he fucking shoots her. And then he turns around and he, like, the, the bad daughter that got all, everybody into all the shit, he caps her in the head. And it, it, I love the part where she's like, don't you want to know why I did all this? He's like, nope. nope. Click. <laughs> yeah. You know, I fucking that. shoots her. It's like the Indiana Jones gun and yeah, fighting yeah, scene. Yeah. The only thing that I have to say I don't like about the art in particular was the panel where he caps the old man was very confusing to me because of the coloring the first time I saw it. Because you know... When yeah. you know what's going on, you can look at it and be like, oh, I yeah. know what's going on. But Kind of looks like Frankenstein's monster. There was a minute there where... I like I Brain. see him I see him shoot the gun and I kind of see this startled reaction on the father's face and tears in the daughter's eyes and I was like wait a minute who did he shoot and then I I had to look and be oh now I get it and it's mostly because they have that monotone red in the yeah. background yeah. and it kind of I think that scene would have been better better served with straight black and white maybe with like a splash of red or something yeah. to make you go oh okay he's capping the dad in the head yeah but that i think that's really the only major complaint i had about it was that i had to go back to that and be like um what 
just oh okay the thing i'm impressed with is that it told a really tight story for six issues and kept it yeah kept it tight and didn't go off tangent too often except for the you know the porn monologue yeah Um, i would have said concise yeah and he doesn't ever feel like he needs to get a larger story right yeah it's very it's it's very confined to what desolation jones knows and we don't ever need to worry about anything else outside that and i never feel like i have to right yeah i don't need to know what the fuck the whatever the temple temple thing whatever i don't i don't need to know why the daughter went off on a tangent and tried to kill her dad or tried to do stuff i I don't care you know and they do a good job of making me not give a shit i only give a shit about what desolation jones knows and then therefore when i read this i'm like cool yes (laughs) Ah, that's an awesome ending yeah so well, other than you know, the other shooting. than my problem with the the very ending, yeah. yeah. So we can we can spoil things and all that kind of stuff. I've tried to like imply stuff like the the book. Pretty sure we just every- spoiled everyone who died. Uh, I, yeah. I was just sitting. We spent Last that week. whole time talking about Rubina getting capped at the end. Yeah, that? that's true. <laughs> so. And you know, you know things uh, things as soon as he gets hit on the head and things start turning a little south, and he he didn't get shot. Well, he did get shot, but he gets shot in the middle of the book. Yeah, yeah, he does. Who did they call? They called the doctor for the boyfriend that he brained. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And as soon as soon as Tapper, that, and, and that's, that's my favorite character, character in the whole book. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as that happened, then he starts he starts taking off on just killing people. The, the yeah. Porn guys. The point. That's the down. point where he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I am not a scalpel. I'm a goddamn hammer. Let's just fucking take care of this shit. I, I really I really like Warren Ellis, and because he is he is a little bit grittier than your usual comic book writer, but he doesn't take it to places like Ennis does. I think Ennis does shock yeah. for the sake of shock, but he does. I gotta say, out of all the the shock writers or whatever, Ennis does well. But I, I really like Warren Ellis. He's he's one of those writers that I, I really enjoy yeah. reading his stuff. You know, I feel like he's one of the power cadre of like British comic book writers of the. 80s and 90s and early thousands. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed the stuff of Warren Ellis's that I've read, with the exception of Transmit. Um, oh, you know, a lot of people really liked it. I couldn't get into it, but then again, I also tried to read it in a time when that it's something I would not have been into. Mm. Like, you know, for example, I started reading Preacher recently, and I'm really enjoying it now. When I tried to read it back in the 90s, when I was, you know. 15 or 18 years old I didn't enjoy it I thought it was dumb well he's also kind of a shock jock I don't know if that was up your alley at the time or not well I gotta say that that yeah there's a lot of shock stuff in in preacher but I think it's I don't think it's as bad as some of his stuff now I think he's yeah, just gotten worse over time he he I don't know I, I feel like maybe that was I feel maybe like he was pushing the envelope for the 90s definitely uh, yeah, and now that sure. things now that he's pushed that envelope he keeps shoving it out further and further and further <laughs> So I'm and gonna, here comes Alan Moore. He's like, hey, I just wrote this little book called Neonomicon. It's about H.P. Uh, <laughs> Lovecraft. What's it about? Oh, Neonomicon stuff. What does the con- content include? Forcible rape. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> Alan Moore. Hmm. So, so here, I'm going to come up. I, I, just, I just came up with this in my head. I'm going to come up with a, a, a neat little alliterative gimmick for our show. Oh, Andy, buy, borrow, or burn? Buy. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like that. It's good. Yeah. Oh, man. We can we can choose the three titles and play the Buy, Borrow, or Burn game. Yay. <laughs> exactly. Now the world is ready for you. And the wonders you can do. Make a heart like dumb. Stop the war with love. Make a lie and tell the truth. Speaking of moving on, uh, let's uh, like let's wrap all this Whoa. up. Um, I'm going to try and do all the wrap up stuff off the top of my head because I don't have my agenda in front of me. So, the first thing that we're going to we're going to talk about is the contest again. Uh, we did not get any responses for the last the last issue of the contest, which surprised me after we got so many for issue er, for episode six. Right? Um, I put that seat in your head, and it's not going. Anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> We're still going to run the contest. We're we're going to pound our heads against this contest until we get enough entries to win. So the last episode, we had a contest for, for Terry Moore's Echo, the first trade of Terry Moore's Echo. Um, nobody knows what we're doing two episodes from now because I'm the only one that has it in my head. Uh, next episode is going to be Terry Moore's Echo. Two episodes from now, we're going to do the first trade of the Runaways. Uh, so the contest is simple. Email us your name, your address, and in the subject line, say that you are entering the contest uh, on Trade Secrets. Send the email to tradesecrets at geekerific.com. If we get 10 entries or more, we will draw names from a hat, and you will win a copy of Terry Moore's Echo and a copy of uh, the first trade of the Runaways. Free comics are free. Free comics are free. It's all you got to do is send us an email, and you have a chance to win free comics. Got to love it. Lots of free comics. Gotta love it. So, did you guys have anything you wanted to talk about before we completely wrap this up? Uh, things that I haven't properly been excited about on the podcast. I'm, uh, day after tomorrow, I am going to grad school for like a week. Say what? I know that sounds strange, but I'm in a low residency MFA program in Vermont. Awesome. Uh, awesome. In Vermont? In Vermont. Wow. Yep. So, I'm going to fly out there for 10 days and then come back and then do a bunch of packet submissions there is a they i applied there in particular because they actually do have a graphic novel component which really consists of you, two, d- two you haven't said where actually so goddard, college. goddard college there. that sounds awesome you get to you get to learn about writing comic books i do, I do. and then you can turn around and teach me <laughs> okay <laughs> i'll Congrats. get all your knowledge without actually paying for it you're right that's the goal wow. uh, so does that mean you're going to start wearing like corduroy actually, i have to teach it's 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 part of my thing so really? maybe i'll make do a comic book class you at hugo house teach. or something i do now she's going to look down her nose even more at us great there's that's no a, nose looking that's going to take a hell of <laughs> a, t- a head tilt right come on it's only <laughs> it's more nostril gazing from people that are scared by academia <laughs> slightly have you formulated your thoughts andy walking dead 14 has been the it's the best book in the series. Okay, don't huh. spoil it for me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything. I'm just simply saying yeah. that if you if you've been interested in Walking Dead, whether it's oh, a TV uh-huh. show yeah. or no. anything along those lines, you need to read 14. It just came out last week. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't got which it, means it'll be f- four months for the hardcover, right? I think you're on the other side of that one, dude. 13 and 14. What? Oh, is it 13 and 14? It'll be 13 and 14 so, in yeah. the next. The next the next hardcover trade is seven. Which will encompass thirteen and fourteen because it's always two yeah, two numbered yeah. trade uh, paperbacks. Even. I'm a moron. So one and two, and then so on. So seven when seven seven it's usually comes out three to four months after the trade that would be encompassed in it. So I'm hoping that'll come out fairly soon because uh, 
I've been itching for the next, both the next, because the next Invincible uh, hardcover that comes out is going to be the Viltrumite War. Jeez. And so, which I haven't read. I'm, I just finished issue six. Uh, volume so, six. Volume six, yeah, yeah. Volume six of the hardcovers, which uh, is the lead up to the Viltrumite War. So I'm sorry for interrupting, but yeah, Walking Dead, I, I can't wait for that for that next hardcover to come out. So on the subject of uh, noir, uh, the Martini edition of the Parker novels, which is The Outfit and Hunter, Hunter, yeah. uh, is coming out. It was in previews for last month, um, so it'll be coming out, I think, two months from now. But you should definitely, if you really like noir stuff, the Parker books are fantastic. Okay. It's Darwin Cook doing the art. Um, it has this really wonderful sort of 60s Dick Tracy vibe to them. Uh, it's all in blue and white. It's oversized. I think it's $75, and it is an absolute steal. Are those the two that you wanted to mention? Those are the two that I wanted to cool. mention. Oh, well, I was just going to say that 14 was, was awesome. It, it was a roller coaster ride. The most yeah. fucked up two panel spread in the <clears throat> entire series. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of fucked up things in the series, but there's there's a lot of resolution that comes out of that. And at first, you don't see where it's going, and then all of a sudden, it just drops. You. I'm hoping you guys don't. No, we're not playing it. I, I, I'm no, but I'm just Dude. hoping that none of the none of the people that read the book spoil this shit. Because I've heard a lot of people talking about the things that happen in that trade, but. Luke, I, I really should lend you the the soft covers. I, I know can't you, wait. I can't. I can't. I don't want to. Luke, it's, seriously, if someone spoils it for you, you're <laughs> fucked. Snape mm-hmm. killed Dumbledore. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, that's why I'm looking forward to. I, I like. I'm a big Robert Kirkman fan. Like, I, Super Dinosaur is dumb, but most of his other stuff is pretty good. Super Dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> That's a story my five year olds would write. Yeah, Super Dinosaur fails at both on both sides right it's trying to be a a, a young readers like saturday morning cartoon type oh, of thing Tycho. but he he doesn't really get that vibe right he like he fails at making it feel like a saturday morning cartoon and he fails at making it feel like a spoof of a saturday morning cartoon so really it just kind of falls flat mm. um which is strange because most of most everything else that kirkman has written i've really really liked um and that's why like invincible invincible is is my favorite superhero comic of all time. Like, it is so fucking good. They've taken preposterous things and made them commonplace in the world, so you don't think... <laughs> nice. You don't think much of them being stupid, right? You yeah. know, you, and the, I think he tempers it because there's so much, like, brutally graphic violence in that book. Whee. Really? As any yeah. good superhero book should have. I, I um actually am uh I'm in I'm talking to Ryan Otley right now about buying a piece of art. Y- your boyfriend fucked me by the <laughs> way. I'm buying two well, pieces of artwork off of Micatron and what? yeah, I, I'm buying two pieces of artwork off of Micatron and it has now started my wife and I down a terrible terrible path of buying original artwork. Um, <laughs> Joel's so, got a piece of original artwork. Yeah, yeah, I do. From who? Uh, the right the artist from Jace Burroughs. Yeah. The uh, the writer from Cross, no, or the, the artist. I'm sorry, the artist from Cross. He, he, he writes, writes he writes pictures. God, you beat me to it. <laughs> so, no. one, anyway, one, one real quick tangent. Uh, 
Is it is it the is it the biscuit game? Uh, no. Page? no, no. Okay, so <laughs> I it, it's it's a funny story because I had a vacation in Hawaii. Right? Is it the in, it, one of the incest and scenes? Just shut and up and listen, Luke. No, this listen. is good. I had a vacation in Hawaii, and we were on the beach, and my my girlfriend and her daughter they took a somebody took a picture of her, and they're standing on the beach, right? Well, I was just coming out of the water snorkeling, and I photobombed their picture. <laughs> Nobody ever noticed this until somebody tagged me on this, and it's you see a little head of me coming out. Of the it's water, basically right. from okay. the armpits up, and he looks like the creature of the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yeah. His girlfriend and his girlfriend's 18-year-old daughter are on the beach, like wearing bathing suits, smiling, and yeah. Joel is rising out of the water like he's going to carry them off. <laughs> yeah, like I'm a little creepy guy, you know, the goon stalking. So anyway, Andy got this commission of that picture, and it's really done. It's done well, and me coming out of the water, but I have the crossed rash on me. <laughs> Joel had no idea. Yeah. I, had, uh, I was down at San Diego Comic Con, and I met. Oh, Jay. So and I'm awesome. like, oh my god, I have the perfect idea of what I need you to do for me as a commission. He's like, what's that? I'm like, I need to print you out a picture. And so I came back the next day and gave him the picture. He's like, this is going to take me a couple hours. I'm like, I'll be back. Don't worry about it. He's like, <laughs> okay. So then I run into Joel the week afterwards. I'm like, hey, I got you a birthday present. He's like, what is it? And I hand him this thing. He's like, what is it? It's custom art. He's like, what? Oh God! I haven't really gotten any commissions done. This is this is not a commission that I'm getting from Ryan Otley. I'm actually buying artwork from an issue of of, of Invincible. Um, I don't know when I'm going to get it, but when I get it, I will post pictures of it to the website, and I'll I'll talk about it on the show. I don't want to I don't want to jinx anything Slippery at this point. Slope. So yeah, it really is because those those two pieces of artwork we're buying off of Micatron are are fucking spectacular. Like it was one of those things where my wife saw one of them, uh, and she was like, when she found out that Micatron was going to have a show and was going to be putting them up for sale, basically, she we were talking about it, and she was like, I, I can't let him sell that to somebody else. <laughs> it's <laughs> like I. So in a couple of years, we're going to see you and your wife in a tent with a bunch of artwork. With a bunch of artwork, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a, a really nice gaming table. We could Built on a table. It's, yeah, it's going to be a stack of artwork on this nice gaming table in a fucking shanty town. The <laughs> somewhere in Rio. Like, all right, we got to wrap this up because this has been going on for a long fucking time. This is so what we get when we don't have an agenda. When we don't have an agenda and we don't stop ourselves from rambling. Yes. We don't have an agenda? <laughs> No. The inmates are running the asylum. Uh, let's see if I can remember how to do all this. Rate us on iTunes. Uh, give us ratings. It gets us listeners. Um, retweet our show announcements. I'm going to say that. You can follow us on Twitter at Trade Secrets Pod. Uh, you can follow us individually on Twitter. I am Geek Elite. Anne is Anne Bean Tweets. Joel is Superfly. And uh, Andy is Mathtastrophe. Uh Rate us on the Zoom Marketplace whenever the fuck we get up there. We're not up there yet. I'm trying. You can join our forums on our website. You can follow us on Facebook or like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trade secrets podcast. If you want to be a what? You can go to the website. We have the website. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The website is tradesecrets.geekerific.com. Or if you just go to www.geekerific.com, there's an icon there. You can click on and go to the Trade Secrets site. If you want to be a part of the show by sending us questions or comments or rants, raves, whatever you want, you can post them to any of those portals. You can tweet them to us, post them on Facebook, or you can email us at the email address I gave earlier, which is tradesecrets at geekerific.com. Uh, this has been episode eight, all about Desolation Jones. It was uh, Joel's pick. Yeah. So uh, the next episode will be Echo, which is Anne's pick, and then Runaways, which will be my pick. And what's what's your pick? 
I'm going to put you on the spot. Umbrella Academy. <clears throat> Umbrella Another Matt Fraction book? Why no, it's, not? It's actually, just Gabriel Bach. No, that's right? Gerald Way. Oh, Gabriel Bach. Gabriel, Gabriel, yeah. Gabriel right. the guy I was getting I'm recommending up, so. a book that's been written by the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Umbrella Academy. I'm excited. I will get my guy liner. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, thank you, Ann. <laughs> no problem. Thank you, Joel. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. And we're out. To be entirely honest, if some dude poked my eye out with his bare finger, I'd probably piss myself too. I gotta say. I think I'd go with the twosies.